Attention American poker players, do you want to legally cash out your poker winnings to PayPal? Then head to GlobalPoker.com and see why it's the fastest growing site for US players. That's GlobalPoker.com. Poker Stories is an audio series that features casual interviews with some of the game's best players and personalities. Each episode highlights a well-known figure in the poker world and dives deep into their favorite tales both on and off the felt. Hello and welcome to another edition of Poker Stories, brought to you by Card Player, the Poker Authority, and hosted by me, Julio Rodriguez. Today on the podcast, we have Maria Ho, who is not only a feared high-stakes cash game grinder, but also quite the tournament player with almost 2.2 million in caches. She's come close to winning a bracelet and the WPT title, and was the last woman standing in the WSOP main event twice, in 2007 and then again in 2014. Maria is known for her work in front of the camera as well, having competed in both The Amazing Race and American Idol. And also she did work as a commentator and sideline reporter for the Heartland Poker Tour and the Super High Roller Bowl. Maria is also a representative of the Windstar World Casino and an ambassador for Poker Central. And most recently, she signed on with Amazon to host the Mobile Masters Invitational. And that is a brand new esports tournament series which is going to air on CBS Sports and Twitch. So here it is, my conversation with Maria Ho. Maria, how are you doing? Good. How about you? I'm doing good. We're here at the uh, the halfway point of the series. I'm wondering how you're feeling uh, energy-wise, mentally. I know you had to start off the series with a very... Uh, engaging role for the super high roller bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, as if seven weeks in Vegas isn't long enough, I had to be <laughs> out here a whole week before I normally get here to play um, in order to do some uh, presenting for the super high roller bowl. And that was, you know, pretty intense, pretty stressful. Um, you crushed it, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, when stuff is live and then you have stream trolls and you're trying to, like, get people after they bubble, like, a tournament for 700K, like, there's a lot of pressure in those situations. Yeah, and it's a lot harder, I think, to do, like, the sideline reporter, talk to the players kind of thing than it is to just commentate on the action where it's like, oh, that that says itself, you know. The action is what you're talking about. But mm-hmm. when you're out there on the field, I'm sure... Yeah, every once in a while, it's like, what do I do? What do I ask him? How do I not offend him in this very delicate time? Yeah, but I think that is where me being a poker player first really comes into uh, it comes in handy because I know how I feel in those moments, and so I felt like I, there was a way for me to get what I wanted to get out of them, but making sure that I was sensitive to maybe mm-hmm. how they were feeling in the moment. What do you think was your favorite uh, interview? My favorite interview. Well, I mean, I have to say, I have to, shows. I have to say Kevin Hart. Like, how okay, can I yeah. not? Like, he. It's so hard to maintain any kind of professionalism when you're interviewing him because you want to laugh at everything he says, mm-hmm. but you also know you have to keep the interview moving. Yeah. But literally, you don't even have to do anything. You could just stand there, and Kevin could just go, and he could just fill up the time, and he will just take it off of your hands if you want him to. That so. guy was on like the entire yeah. tournament yeah playing poker and performing for the cameras at the same time it is crazy like um to see him be able to like maintain that level of energy for the entire tournament it was crazy 
Yeah, I, I would just be like, after the first hour, like, my, all my material's gone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what else can I... And nobody would have blamed him if he, like, took a five-minute break, but he yeah, didn't, you know? <laughs> you could focus on the cards, Kevin. It's okay. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the beginning. What do you remember from Taipei, Taiwan? Oh, like, so I moved to the States when I was four and a half. So, like, I don't have many distinct memories, but I have gone back pretty much every year to visit because I have family that still live there. Mm -hmm. And so every time I go, something will, like, jog my memory of, you know, growing up there a little bit and just like the food, the smells, the culture, yeah. like it, that'll all come back to me really easily. Um, but you know, most of my upbringing has been in the States, but I love going back to Taiwan. I love seeing like how much it's changed throughout the years. And I'm obviously very proud of, you know, both of my, the cultures that I've grown up with. Uh, what was, what was the initial reason or catalyst for getting for your parents to make the moves to the States? You know, I really just, it comes down to, as cliche as it is, like the American dream. Like mm -hmm. this was in, gosh, like the late 70s, early 80s. And so, you know, at that time, I feel like immigration policies was fairly open for us. And my dad looked to America as this place to make a better life for his family. Mm -hmm. And my dad's a risk taker, which I think is kind of what I get where I get it from and you know it's a lot to uproot your whole family and he didn't speak the language um mm -hmm. coming here but you know they're really just a he's a self-made man in the states now and so I'm like very proud of my family for what they've done for us you said in the documentary you kind of described him well I watched the documentary by the way the pro choreography yeah one. um you said that he was kind of like a jack of all trades kind of I'm, I'm wondering if that's what you take after as far as because you seem to have your 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 uh, your feet in a bunch of fire. So yeah, I I do think I get a lot of my personality from my dad. I just remember that he was always good at everything he tried and the most important part was he was never afraid to try something new. And so I've really embraced that um, with all of the different things that I'm involved in now, you know, even like we were talking about the presenting side of super high rollable. That was one of the first times I've really done that sort of thing. I've done the commentary and the mm -hmm. strategic stuff, but that was a completely new animal. And to do it on a stage like the super high rollable, yeah. which is a huge one, you know, is not something that a lot of people would just sign up for. <laughs> um, but you know, I was very um, excited to do it and I loved that it was different from something I've ever done. And it mm -hmm. was very challenging and, and uh, I'm glad that I didn't mess it up too badly. <laughs> so so uh, you moved to L.A.? Is that kind of where you settled? Yeah. So we basically, uh, you know, I think we bounced around a little bit in the beginning. We lived on the East Coast for a little, like in, in uh, New York, um, upstate New York. And then we came to various parts of Southern California. Then we settled in L.A. when I was like five or six. And I was raised there. And I've lived there ever since. I mean, I went to college in San Diego, but I moved right back to L.A. after I graduated. So One thing about the documentary that surprised me, I guess I shouldn't say it surprised me, because you've always been a very cool person. Uh, but... Uh, that you were such a rebel. And oh, like a, my badass like side. Yeah, like, or, or just <laughs> misbehaving. Mm. I, uh, the documentary hints at some jail time. <laughs> I mean, I felt like that was a little over-exaggerated. I mean, I, <laughs> I did go to the police station. Um, but, yeah, I think I did that because, you know, I grew up in a very traditional Chinese household, even though we lived in the States. My family upbringing was very culturally Asian in a lot of sense of there's this huge emphasis on 
school work and exactly and following a very straight and narrow path and don't waste this opportunity maria exactly and so i think it's you know natural for somebody with my personality to rebel against that anyways because as you can see based on my career path i'm just not a conventional person and so um i think i was a rebel without a cause though you know like i my parents were good to me like it wasn't like i needed to be out there causing trouble but i think i wanted to make a statement of like you can't control me so so you ran away from home i did i did i I, that actually that was the time where i first started playing a lot of video games (laughs) going into you know what we'll probably talk about later on but i actually started like i remember running away didn't go to school just like ate a lot of pizza and played a lot of video games at a friend's house when you ran away because in your in your sister Uh, describes it like middle school but that seems crazy to me no i think it was early high school it was probably like 14 and where is away when you run away it was like, you know, five minutes away from where my parents lived at a friend's house where yeah. their parents were there and like their parents were just cool parents. And mm-hmm. like I just told them the truth. I'm like, I-, I don't feel like staying with my parents right now. Can I just stay here? And I think I-, I know they weren't in contact with my parents, but I felt like they would rather let me stay at their place than stay where they wouldn't know like yeah what instead I was of like doing. a bus station or something exactly yeah. so they weren't going to tell on me <laughs> still a month away from from the family as a teenager. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was a real rebel. I, I know, I, I know. I and was they, happy to go And home. they uh, responded by shipping you off to an all-girls Catholic school. <laughs> right? Like, I raised. That, like, that's what they did. I went My to parents a Catholic raised. high school. Oh, yeah. But it was a co-ed high school. I feel like I remember us talking about that before. But, so I don't even know what it's like to go to a, oh. a, a all-girls school. That must have been crazy. Especially transitioning from going to a public school my entire life co-ed mm-hmm. public huge as well like all of the schools i've been to had upwards of like thousand people and this like thousands of people and this uh, school had there was a hundred people in my grade mm-hmm. and it was all women and all of our teachers were like nuns basically so what's the worst trouble you ever got into um well, so I, I went, this is going to sound awful, but the reason I went to the police station was in sixth grade, <laughs> some guy was making fun of my Sixth girl- grade, she said, by the way. <laughs> some guy was making fun of my friend, and I get very protective of the people I care about, mm-hmm. and I chased him around the, the uh, fields with a lighter trying to light his hair on fire. Mm-hmm. Was his hair particularly flammable? Or yeah, he put a lot spray? of product in yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> That could have been a murder charge if you weren't careful. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when did you uh, turn the corner? When did you go, okay, you know what? Maybe I should put my nose in this book. And Or was it just a, a matter of not having any options at the school to get yeah, in trouble? Yeah, I think it's a combination of those two things. I think once I got shipped off and I was living there and, you know, I was under even more intense scrutiny than I would be at home. Um, and there was nothing else to do. All of my friends did not go to that school. And I had nothing else better to do than to just, you know, decide that I want to take my education somewhat seriously. But also, I've always known, like, even before then, I always knew, like, I was a rebel without a cause. Like, <laughs> I knew that I w- didn't have a reason to rebel. And so, like, deep down inside, I actually loved school. Like, I actually enjoyed studying and I enjoyed learning. And I just wanted to pretend like I didn't. So it was just kind of me coming back to who I really was deep down inside but I was kind of trying to suppress that yeah Yeah. I was just trying to suppress that because I didn't want to do everything that my parents wanted me to do so 
uh, who's been on TV more, you or your sister Judy? Because I well, had no idea that she was such a big deal. Yeah, well, you know what? I feel like my <laughs> sister's getting a little competitive with me because before I would have said me, but yeah. now I feel like she's rapidly rep- approaching where like we're probably the same or she's going to surpass me any minute she's now. Like a, she's a, legit. a physician who um, also does like... Uh, Dr. Drew's show and she's yeah she's a clinical psychologist she does she's on a lot of shows as their go-to like uh, specialist in psychology you know whether it's like they're talking about news like cases that are just in the news like crime shows crime shows um and she also is a professor at Pepperdine University she also has her own private practice like Dr. Judy Ho is doing. So she work. was not sent off to school. She was the golden. No, exactly, child. exactly. Yeah. So especially right with an older sister like that, that gave me even more reason to go against the grain for sure. Oh, you turned out all right. It's okay. <laughs> You're not all that great, Judy. Yeah, Judy. When are you going to get your pokerography? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although she did do very well. She did. It. Oh, she was great. She may have been the she star was, of it. That's oh, a hundred percent. She was. She was. Um, so you go to UC San Diego. Mm-hmm. What was the plan at that point before you discovered poker? Um, so I kind of always knew what I wanted my major to be. I was one of those people that showed up at college was like, oh, don't know and won't figure it out until way later. Um, I always knew I wanted to either major in like communications biz- or business or like maybe a double major of the two. But UC San Diego didn't actually offer a business major. They offered a business minor. So then I kind of shifted my focus to the communications part because I did want to be maybe in broadcast journalism, maybe be an anchor on the news. Um, Those were things that interested me at the time. So I majored in communications. I minored in law and I had every intention of maybe taking a year off of between undergrad and then going back to grad school and getting my master's in business administration. Um, but then I found poker and never went back to get my uh, master's. So it's interesting that at a, at a party school like UCSD, you were in the card clubs every day. Yeah. Well, see, so a lot of people, San Diego is just like a party town kind of. Um, but San Diego State was even worse when it came to partying. So like there was there was not as many opportunities to party going to UCSD. But I definitely felt like. I was way more drawn to going to play poker um, because I discovered it, I think, my freshman year of college. And so I never really had time to get into anything else well, because what's I was that already story? So, so into so poker. Who was the first person that said, hey, look oh. at this game? There's a few people out there that will claim that they've, you know, taught me everything (laughs) I know about poker. And I'm not, I don't, I I, like these people I still keep in contact with, but there was a group of three of my friends, uh, Wayne and Lee and some other guys who had a like nightly or weekly maybe poker game. And they were the first people to ever tell me about it. I showed up. And this was pre-Moneymaker. Oh, pre-Moneymaker. By a, a year or two, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was when like Limit Hold'em was still cool, you know, Um, and so I would go over there and I played for the first time and I just took a huge liking to the game because I think I've always been very competitive and I've always liked things involving strategy. And so I started showing up all the time and just playing more with them in that setting. But then they would be like, oh, we're going to go to the casino. And then I was like, oh, that's where it's really at. You know, forget about these home games. Like, yeah, let's go to the casino. Were you a a learn by doing or did you pick up a bunch of books or? I was a learn by doing. I was a Learn by losing money, person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How are you funding your, your, those initial trips? That's a good. That's Student a real good question. Or, I mean, this well, 
I told my mom I was going to buy new books and I bought used books. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> you, you know, the hustle. I, seriously. I definitely, there was definitely some money that my parents had given me that were supposed to go towards my learning experience mm-hmm. at UCSD, which I definitely used to play poker with. And, um, but and then, I'm sure you were upfront about this and told them right Yeah, away. exactly. <laughs> because they're so understanding and accepting of all my choices in life. Uh, but yeah, but then I did start to turn it around and like, I'm very quick learner. I mean, and I think losing money is a good way to learn because you don't want to lose more money. You must have won your first session though. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or else I would have never come back. come back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what were the games like at the time? What were you doing? Grinding up limit games, three, yep. six, I was playing six, like four, eight limit hold'em on a regular basis. Like I would go to the casino three or four times a week. I would stay there for insanely long sessions, mm-hmm. like eight hour sessions, and then drive home in the middle of the night, maybe get two hours of sleep. And like most of the time make it to class, but yeah. sometimes not. <laughs> um, and I was just doing that. And then obviously, you know, that's not, you can't make a living at those limits by any means, but just the idea of winning money at those limits was exciting enough for me to just kind of keep going. And then obviously, you know, the more sessions I won, I started moving up to, you know, 612, 816. And then kind of by the time that I was making money, enough money from poker to really, um, for it to almost be like a job that I had during college, I was probably playing like 10, 20 limit hold'em, mm-hmm. 20, 40 sometimes if the game was really good. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are people who make a living at those games now. Yep. So you must have graduated college and went, okay, maybe grad school can take a, a back seat for a little while. Yeah. And like, I always was like, okay, well, I'll just take a few years off. Like instead of my one year break, I was going to take like two or three years break and play poker and come back because I had never, I could have never anticipated or guessed that poker would take off the way it did not just for me but with the money maker effect and the way that the game yeah. got so popular after I was already involved in it so and is that when you finally came clean to the parents about what you were doing nope <laughs> no no that like no at that point I was just like hey uh so I'm gonna take a year off school they're like what are you gonna do and I'm like oh just travel a bit hang out with some friends they're like okay where are you gonna get the money to do this I was like oh well um I got a job in college, like, but didn't tell them that the job was poker. Yeah. And I was like, I got a job, like, for the last year of college, and I saved up some money, so that's what I'm going to do. So they had no idea. And then I came to the World Series. It really wasn't until the 2007 WSOP main event where I had actually been playing poker for a good year and a half professionally, mm-hmm. where they didn't even know I played at the main event. They didn't even know I got 38th. After I got home with the check and cashed the check, that was when I told my parents. So you said... Mom, Dad, here's a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> uh, I do this game for a living. Yeah. Uh, and I'm pretty good at it. And what do you think? Yeah, that's pretty much how that conversation and went they down. Said, oh, thank God you chose poker. <laughs> no. They were like, their, their first, I think, I, I vaguely remember that my mom, especially, she was like, oh, you want a quarter million dollars? Uh, okay, you don't have to play anymore because isn't that enough? Like, haven't you had your fun? Because she didn't understand that it was a career. She was like, okay, fine. It was like something you had as a hobby or you were yeah. interested in and you want some money. So you know what? You did it. wasn't a complete waste of time, but now you can move on because that chapter of your life can now be closed and you can be happy with what you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
and my dad was very much like none of them they were like they were like oh this is not an environment for a woman we don't feel safe with you being there we don't like the people you're around because my dad actually plays a little bit recreationally um not only just like table games but a little bit of poker as well and so he knows like he's in that environment and of course as a dad you don't want that for your daughter yeah because even if you do it like do as i say not as i do you know of course yeah well that's just a sign of good parents if they if they care enough to, <laughs> to stifle you. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, let's just jump into the into the, the big ones. So you obviously went very deep in 07. That was kind of like, this is her. She's on the map now. Um, then you just started showing up all over the place. I got to ask you, I know everyone does it, but about the, uh, the Amazing Race. Like, is that still the highlight of... Uh, yes. A hundred percent, it is the most unforgettable and once in a lifetime experience that I will never forget. I can still remember everything like it was yesterday. Um, I've never ever been in such an intense situation such as that. Like nothing has ever compared to all of the different feelings that I was that I was going through at the time because not only do you wake up every day not knowing where you're going to go <laughs> what you're going to do what you know what's going to happen um but you also have somebody that is counting on you to show up and do your best even if it's not something you're going to be good at because yeah. nobody signs up for a show like that and they're not throwing you things that are going to be like you know easy like walk in the parks like they want you're gonna have to work hard for it every day just to stay alive in the competition well, how did that come about was it like they came to you or you submitted a, an audition tape or how did it work so that was the year the year before that uh genre Berbalon was on survivor and the year before that uh annie duke was on celebrity apprentice and so i think in the reality casting world, I think they yeah. saw that there were interesting characters th- from poker because of our competitive nature yeah. and uh, there are personalities in poker that are very interesting. And so John Robert Blonde actually called me and said, hey, they're looking for some female poker players for The Amazing Race. You're still going to have to audition and go through the whole process, but I could just get you directly in touch with the casting director so that sh- you know she'll watch your video yeah, and yeah. she'll will put you right before her. Um, and so, you know, at that point... What you did for the video? Um, she so she actually came over and filmed it for Tiffany and I. So she was like, which is helpful because she was good at being like, okay, well, I want you to just talk about this and talk about that. Um, and you know, at that point, I hadn't decided like who I had wanted my partner to be. Like Tiffany and I just met, you know, maybe a year and a half ago, and we were very close, but we weren't like we weren't like as close as we are now. But then when I really thought about it, I was like, of course I should pick somebody who, you know, is also a female poker player and also because, and also has that same competitive drive. And I know Tiffany well enough to know that she would do anything to win, which yeah. is some, but something you want in a partner. So I, I didn't watch the show live. I watched, ended up watching it after it was over. Uh, and I think I got the news that you guys had been eliminated when I was in Spain or something at a WPT final table. But if I remember correctly, you guys were, we're going, we're doing really well, and you got hung up on a strength issue. Mm-hmm. Is that basically what happened? Yeah, yeah. So, completely you, unfair obstacle. We, we felt that way. I mean, I, so the top three teams go to the final, and we got eliminated in six. And going into this challenge, you know, usually there's like one side of the challenge that's mental, one side that's physical. So, like, to compensate for the fact that if you're like a, on a all girls team versus, you know, an all guys team, that it's not going to be equal um, for the different kind of combinations of teams. And so, um, 
This time around, though, both challenges had a very physical component. And so we actually tried both challenges several times. We actually went back and forth between the two challenges because we're like, we have to like, you like had a get lead, at right? least. Like, yeah. You had a lead and you oh, couldn't yeah, yeah. get these two things Yeah, done. and we couldn't do it. And we, you know, and obviously. Wasn't one like, one of the, like one of those yes, muscle. One uh, of those things where you hit the, ha- yep, the hammer and the, the dinger has to go to the very top. Yeah. And I can't even get that thing to the top. It's, it's like, <laughs> it's crazy for them to like think that like they're like okay after that you learn a dance and then you eat like a pickled herring at the end of it was like the whole challenge for that but it's like the fact that you put that first and like that just makes the whole challenge physical even mm-hmm. if the other components are yeah. and then the other one was you had to play farmer's golf where it was like a soccer sized ball and it was a wooden we were in Sweden it was like a wooden clog on the end of a <laughs> stick that you had to use to, and you hit it like a golf ball and you had to get it within a certain number of strokes and like every other team that had a guy on it when you look at it every other team that had a guy on it the guy would hit it really far and then the girl could barely get it you know like get any distance on it at all but the guy would basically make up for that but with two girls you know we weren't able to get it to the hole in the number of strokes to in order to pass that challenge so and you and tiffany aren't exactly known for your muscles no i mean we're not like i mean tiffany's much more athletic than me but i mean neither of us are like super strong buff chicks and you know um what they also didn't show is like we tried for four to five hours to complete these tasks and we weren't (laughs) successful and it wasn't like we were like oh can't do it gotta give up like we gave it all we had we did not have anything left when we were done that's so frustrating you think the producers at some point would go like okay if they can't do it in two hours they're gonna have to get an automatic skip or something because it's just not fair we clearly designed an impossible right and you would and and in a way like and in a way i wish there could have been some kind of discretion but in a way i like that they didn't because ultimately i don't want them to manipulate the outcome even though when you think about it it did it has to be physically unfair if because they watched us try like and we tried over and over again it wasn't like we didn't attempt to do something it was that we physically couldn't but i like that they didn't intervene um because i liked preserving this idea that like this show is legit and if you can't do something you have to get eliminated even if maybe they designed it a little unfairly to begin with speaking of getting eliminated from shows i tried like hell to find your american idol audition video (laughs) and i could not um does it exist and what did you sing uh so i sang uh get here by Aletta Adams and uh, it's an old school song and where we insert the audio yeah it was a it was a I was only 18 and so yes I'm sure it exists somewhere but I also know that I was nowhere near as composed then as I think I would be now and I feel like I definitely remember being nervous like I felt like my voice was a little bit shaky but I also love that I got, got that experience through, right? yeah but I love that I got that experience so young because I think that's really prepared me for everything else now where that was like one of the hardest things I had to do and I was very very green to like any kind of like being in public, doing yeah. anything, speaking, singing, whatever. Did you get so, to perform for Simon and Randy? And, and who was the other two at that time? Uh, it was Paula. Paula? Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And did Simon's, you get to perform for them, not like a producer or something? Yeah, and Simon's super mean. So He was mean to you? Yeah. 
What do you say? I got to know that. I feel like I remember something being along the lines of, you're just not ready for this. Ooh. Well, I mean, that, there could be worse things he would have said. That's true. He could have called you terrible. That's No, I definitely did not get the terrible memo, but yeah. <laughs> so the other two liked you and gave you the pass. Yeah, I feel like it was overall just like very surreal when I think about it. And, I, and I'm like happy to have even been able to sing for them and to get any kind of feedback. Like I... I never really wanted to pursue a career in singing, Mm -hmm. but it's always been something I like to do. So it was more just like I took a flyer and I just like auditioned because it was like the biggest show at the time. Yeah. Um, But it's not like I ever came (laughs) from that and was like, oh, well, I just want to keep working really hard and just try to get back on there one day. You know, it was never like that. It was just kind of like a one and done. You have no ambition to pursue music at all? No, not to not, not, I still want to do things in music, but not in the idea of like becoming a famous singer musician i'm more interested in doing like musical theater actually and yeah i did musical theater in college so me too i didn't sing though oh nice didn't have the pipes not like you what shows did you do uh so i did anything goes i was in uh marriage of figaro which is more like an opera um what other shows in college did i do i think we did we might have done rent yeah always yeah yeah so there I could was see you on ones. stage. I really like like that. That's my passion in the sense of like I love performing, but I love like the all of the creative elements of like choreography and singing and doing all of those things. So. And how they're all working at that one moment together. Yes. As opposed to being filmed piece by piece. Yeah. There's something magical about theater. I love it. Oh, totally. And you're in a pretty good city for it. Yeah, I am. And I think that is the dream is like one day I will be able to be in one place long enough to maybe just audition for like a local production, like a pretty good Mm -hmm. production, obviously, but not like, but something that is going to take maybe three to four months of rehearsal and then like two to three months of, you know, the show running. So I would have to be there for a significant amount of time. But one day I do want to be in a a musical theater production in my adult life. So you, uh, you watch any reality TV these days? I do. I really, what's your show? What's better American or American (laughs) Idol or, uh, I don't really watch the only shows I really watch now are survivor. Um, and I'm ashamed to admit this, but Bachelor, Bachelor and Bachelorette, I watch that. You keeping up with uh, the latest Bachelor? <laughs> I am. I am. A lot of drama going there on. There is, but that's what happens when there's a lot of alcohol involved in anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love Survivor. There's that. People ask me a lot too, you know, after Amazing Race, if there's any other reality show I'd ever consider going on. And I would say that Survivor is the only one that I would ever consider mm-hmm. doing. But I'm still too scared to do it right now, like to, to even try to get on that show because the idea of it is almost too daunting. Like, I don't like admitting that because I was just talking about how I enjoy challenging situations. But a lot of things about Survivor scare me. There's a lot of jokes about like, oh, it's not real. They're getting, you know, so they have doctors just off camera and, you know, all this stuff. I don't know. Jean Robert looked pretty annoyed by the whole <laughs> thing. I mean, whether it's, you know, real or not, it's still hard. Yeah, I have no doubt that it's hard. And I really and I feel like it is as real as it can be without really jeopardizing people's health and safety. When are they going to do like a snow one? Like. In Siberia. Or oh, something. if they do that, I'm for sure not signing up. It's got to be tropical. Yeah. On the beach. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I guess they don't want all those good-looking people walking around in snowsuits. That's true. Anyway. Um, one of the crazy stories I heard from your um, 
documentary was that your boyfriend lost your entire bankroll. <laughs> yes. And I just want to clarify, by the way, because I also realized, like, unless you're paying a lot of attention and you know the timeline, everybody would know it's not like my last boyfriend that people mm-hmm. knew I was with. I just want to clarify, though, because I felt bad. I was like, OK, I don't want anyone to think that it was yeah, like. Because you didn't say the name and I'm not going to press you yeah. for it here. But like it's not anybody anybody would know because this person, this was literally in the beginning of my career. So it was like 2007 or so or 2008. And he is no longer in poker. He was just a cash game player. But it was at a time where um, maybe it was even before 2007. But yeah, I mean, it was at a time where he lost his entire bankroll and sometimes you just kind of know that it means more to somebody than it does to you in the sense of like being good at poker succeeding in poker meant so much more to him and even though I loved poker I felt like I had more things to fall back on or I could somehow like you know make my way another route and for him it was kind of like everything to him so I was like, uh, well, why don't you just take my bankroll and play with it? And I also had confidence in his game. Don't get me wrong. I didn't think that I would not get that back. But yeah, yeah. I put you didn't myself, say go light this on fire. Right. But I put myself out of action for three to six months, and he actually did end up losing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he ended up, you know, a year or two after that, after we had broken up, he ended up paying me back. But, like, I was basically out of action, and I did have to rebuild from that. So Yeah. That's that's brutal. Nothing like losing all your ammo at a yeah. fight. Yeah. For sure. Um, you've been, uh, you met a lot of crazy celebrities, like big, big celebrities. Jeremy Piven, Aaron Paul, Tiger Woods, Mark Cuban, the list goes on and on. Who's uh, Who stands out to you? Um, I think probably some of my favorites that I've, you know, really gotten a chance to interact with. I think Mark Cuban, just because he's so smart. He's yeah. so knowledgeable about everything. Like he's somebody that you can actually have a real conversation and feel like, you know, sometimes when you meet celebrities, I wouldn't say that I'm ever starstruck, but then sometimes you don't know what to talk to them about because you don't want to just like press them and be like, so yeah, tell me about Breaking Bad or whatever it is. But like, you know, but with, (laughs) but with Mark, I felt like I could just talk to him, not Mm -hmm. about him, but just about things that I know he like that he likes talking about and you can have a conversation with him. And he's so, he's so down to earth, like like he's he may have some like this part of his persona that is very brash or whatever Mm -hmm. but he is just actually a really nice person and he's just super passionate about everything he's involved in and he's so smart and i just have a very rational person oh absolutely but it's funny you mention awkward celebrity encounters because i i met don Cheadle here in like 08 or something and the only thing i could muster the only thing i could even come up with was like uh i loved you in hotel rwanda (laughs) And he was just like, okay, thanks for naming the most pretentious movie I was oh in. Oh, my like, gosh. That is funny that that's you know all what I you mean? said. <laughs> that's all I could muster. You ever, you ever stick your foot in your mouth like that with them? You're probably too good for that. <laughs> I've been pretty good, like, about yeah. just – but, like, there have been moments when I, like, will catch myself. I'm like, oh, wait, no, don't say, don't, say don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. Yeah. That's cool. And you got to work real close with Aaron Paul. You didn't bring up Breaking Bad once. That's crazy. I really actually didn't. But I I, it, I had to control myself to not mm-hmm. do that because I'm sure that's I, all. You remember the scene about. where you did this? Yeah. And then what about there? Oh, at the end? Yeah. I was just going to let him off the hook for my Breaking <laughs> Bad questions. Um, in an interview, you said that you were really good at telling when people are lying. Yeah. I really believe that I am. I, th- I feel like I do have a sixth sense. Like, and I do feel like there is such a thing as woman's intuition. And I do believe that wholeheartedly because every 
thing that I've done, not just in poker, but outside of poker, I feel like has been so much off of my intuition. So much of it has been following my gut and so much of it has been, you know, making kind of really quick on the spot decisions based on how I feel about someone's character or whether or not I should work with them or do something. And honestly, it's just like never steered me wrong. You're talking about like a gut feeling, right? Yeah, totally. So this isn't like, um, uh, Caro's book of tells like kind of style, like live reads. No, but it's not like, I wouldn't say it's that. I feel like I can sense like, weakness or strength i can sense deception or like honesty in somebody so does that mean energy does that mean your game is more tied to um how on you are rather than well so actually the crazy (laughs) the crazy part is is when i first played poker i still i felt all of my instincts kick in at the right moments but i actually didn't follow them because i was like well this is oh, stupid okay, yeah so i was like oh i can't be that girl i can't be like i it. can't be like the play by feel girl right like i didn't mm-hmm. want to do that and so i would actually choose to ignore it and then that actually and then i realized that every time i did go with my gut i was right and so yeah. i just needed to like also allow myself to implement that into my game like i would say that i'm a healthy balance of the two like in online poker I don't obviously use any of that, but in live poker, I will a hundred percent take math based, like game theory based, and then fuse it with the fact that I do know that I have, Mm -hmm. I have a skill set that's especially tailored to live poker. So why not, why should I dismiss it just because it might not be looked at as maybe like the correct way to approach poker? Like I, but I think that's why people like Phil Ivey and Daniel are so good. You know, they're not going to be, you know, the most GTO players, but are they still very good at the game and are they still very successful? Yes. And that's because there is this X factor that you can't really teach and you can't really learn. And like mm-hmm. they've learned to use it to their advantage. And that's what I try to do with my instinct. So I guess I can't ask you what's the tell to look for then. <laughs> you can't teach it. <laughs> no, this is, this cannot be taught. Um, the last time you and I had a long form interview was like 2010. You're, you're playing a lot of high stakes limit Mm hold'em. I don't think that exists anymore. I'm so glad it doesn't exist anymore. It's a terrible (laughs) game. I don't know why I liked it so much. And then, uh, (laughs) I think we interviewed in 2013. You said you were switching to mixed games. So how did that switch happen? Yeah. So at Commerce is the, like Commerce is really the birthplace of a lot of like mixed games that Mm -hmm. people might not have heard of until they go to LA, like Badusi and Badesi and those games originated at Commerce. And, um, so being from LA and that being my, you know, go-to card room, it was really easy for me to pick up mixed games as people were just starting to learn them too. So which is like the most important thing is, you know, there's not a ton of books out there on how to play Bidusi and Bidesi optimally. And so you really do have to be somewhere where not only do they spread the games, but there's people playing, there's Mm -hmm. constant games running so that you can practice and learn. Um, And so I felt like it was really, um, I just kind of wanted something different from No Limit Hold'em for a while because that could just get a little bit too robotic sometimes. And I started learning mixed games and I loved it and it gave me a nice little break away from like being stuck in my no limit hold in mind. Um, well, I read that you, you started playing them at really high stakes, 200, 400. I did. <laughs> which is, so I'm a little, a little bit of a they, gambler. When they're jumping into a game for the first time, they go lower <laughs> in stakes and try to figure yeah, it out first. But to be fair, I did actually watch a few, like I had, I have some good friends that 
are some of the best mixed game players in the world that were I was so fortunate enough to watch them play like people like John Hennigan and David Oppenheim and Joe Cassidy they all came out of commerce they were playing all the time and they were so nice to let me sit behind them watch them play and so before I put my money in these games I was actually watching a lot of long hours of really good players play I gotta ask you about playing Tony Hawk heads up. Oh yeah, Tony! Oh my gosh, because that heads a, up match. There was a pretty hilarious <laughs> hand that I think people were talking about. Yep. <laughs> if you want to recall, uh, recall what happened there. Yeah. So we were playing in a celebrity charity shootout um, that was actually televised on CBS Sports, and Tony was the heads up match that I had. He. Um, And, you know, like, I'm going to chalk it up to this. Like, Tony was awesome. But I think, A, he's not that good at poker. And, B, he (laughs) had somewhere to be. (laughs) Because none of the things he did made any sense. Um, But, luckily, I still won. But, I mean, he called me with seven high, and I happen to have six high. No, no, no. He soul read you with seven high. Well, that's what Let's I told get him straight. to make him feel better. <laughs> I mean, there was like a four flush board, and he called me with seven high, no suit, none no of that pair. suit. I don't think he even had a draw. I no. think he just had seven five off suit. He literally called me with seven high on the river, and uh, it was, was crazy. Right. I literally had the only hand that he beats that doesn't pair the board because it's like a three. There was like a two. Like yeah. I just had like the actual literal not low there. <laughs> I can't even imagine what it's like to be called by seven high and lose. I know. It is actually, it was actually like a pretty insane moment. And the fact that it was like on TV was even crazier. (laughs) And I was like, yep, this is, people are going to be talking about this one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Um, uh, Tell me about this esports thing with uh, Amazon. Yeah, so... um, The Mobile Masters Invitational. Mobile Masters Invitational. So Amazon, App Store, they are starting to invest in esports because obviously esports is huge. Who isn't getting into esports in some way nowadays? But it's kind of a natural fit for somebody like Amazon because between... Um, You know, their App Store where you can buy a lot of these games, you know, and... uh, and playing them on a tablet, which is kind of the whole concept behind Mobile Masters, is mobile games. So there's ob- the obvious huge games in esports like League of Legends, World of Warcraft, and all those that you're playing on your desktop or mm-hmm. whatever. But for more casual gamers, but that like to play on a competitive level, there are actually quite a bit of games that you can play on your phone or on your tablet, like Hearthstone's one of them, um, which is very, very popular now. And the other two games that will be featured are Summoner's War and Vainglory. And so it's kind of a, a f- great fit for me in the sense of, like I said, I've played video games all my life. I've always been interested in games involving strategy. But also as someone who travels a lot, who spends a lot of time on the road, I don't actually have time to really get into the games that I have yeah. to sit at a desktop for and have a whole setup for and have mm. like a video card for. Like I need Or games. find friends online to play with you. Exactly. Like <laughs> I need games where if I'm, you know, on a flight, I can just like open up my tablet and play something if I just want to, you know, um, you know, do something. And so Hearthstone, that's kind of how I got into Hearthstone was because I was like looking for something to do on that's a long flight. That's the game you're into now. And yeah, I would say that that's the game that I'm most into now. And there's obviously a lot of crossover between Hearthstone players and poker players. Um, and the reason I think is obviously because it's a card game, but it's because it's quick, you know, yeah. the matches take 20 to 30 minutes. And I think especially with poker players, um, 
and their attention span probably outside of poker you know you want to be competitive you want to play something that's interesting to you but you don't have like hours and hours to do it so uh you're 34 yeah sorry to reveal the age i know it's not polite, <laughs> it's okay i'm asian so it doesn't matter i still right. look young that's right um 34 so you were 82 83 83 so so you're an original nintendo kid then huh yes oh my god i'm so glad that you brought that up because like props to my dad for bringing home the original <laughs> Jack of all trades dad yeah he went on to went to japan on a business trip when my sister and i were like really young i was probably like seven or eight and he came back with one of those original they were called famicoms like family computers but they were the japanese before nintendo came out it wow, was the early console before they came up with nintendo and yeah my dad brought that home from a business trip and literally my sister and i would just sit there for like <laughs> eight to ten hours playing games yeah. after he brought that home for years we still have it what's your favorite what was your favorite back then Ooh, back or, then what did you I put mean, the most hours into we played a lot of like super mario brothers mm-hmm. ton of hours into that um and then when we ended up getting nintendo i played a lot of paperboy that was yeah. such a fun game Paperboy. Yeah. But then I played, but then like, you know, when I got like middle school, high school age, I was playing a lot of Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, like those kind of games. So we got some fun rapid fire questions for you, if you don't mind. Yeah. Shoot. Uh, tell us about your big, sorry, first big live tournament experience. Do you remember where it was? What was the buy-in? How you were feeling, nerves, that kind of stuff. I think my first big live tournament experience would have to be like I think I played like a $1,500 buy-in event at the World Series of Poker. Like I had played smaller tournaments before then, like $300 at like Hollywood Park or whatever. But it was coming to Vegas, playing in my first World Series of Poker event. Um, I got knocked out in like the first hour. It was horrible. Um, I didn't do well at all. I remember feeling very nervous. Um, but And $1,500 was is a lot of money and back then especially with my bankroll you know i had all of my own action in the tournament so i was like i just remember playing really horribly like really scared to play my game so it wasn't a good not experience a good it's not a good experience <laughs> um what about the worst bad beat you ever put on anybody okay like i know this is gonna sound crazy but i swear to you I get all the bad beats and I don't put no, I, I do. I do <laughs> no feel, I do feel though, like I do get some really bad beats in really like high, like, like really like deep into tournaments, really big, like situations where it really matters to not get bad beats. But worst beat I put on someone, I vaguely remember hitting a one outer on somebody on the river, but it wasn't like in a tournament situation where like, I feel like there were still like a hundred people left. It wasn't like yeah. we were at the final table and it was like for like a, you know, five, like five uh, digit payday, like difference between mm-hmm. the pay jumps or whatever. It was like, it was like, yeah, it sucks to, for this person that I hit a one outer, but like he wasn't even like, we weren't even close to in the money, you know, screw him. So didn't feel that bad. <laughs> Um, biggest pot you ever won or lost? Your choice, whether you want to go for the glory or the, uh, the bad story. <laughs> um, I would say that the biggest pot I've ever lost was probably like I was playing in a cash game with, I remember Johnny Chan was in this game. Mm-hmm. We were playing mixed games, 400, 800 limit, um, shorthand, short, <laughs> <laughs> shorthanded, like three or four of us. And I want to say the game was like stud eight or something, but Johnny and I got into this huge 
multi-way pot um and then on 7th street it was just johnny and i and it was like 50 or 60,000 in the pot and i lost on the river like he made a wheel on the river he just like hit an inside straight draw to scoop mm. me um but yeah that's probably the biggest pot mm. i've ever lost <laughs> damn johnny you'll get it back <laughs> he'll have to get up to that level again though yeah then, <laughs> i know then he can get it back uh toughest time of your career i would say like when i gave my like when i oh, yeah, gave yeah. my bankroll to my ex-boyfriend <laughs> and i had to rebuild like like just being out of action and still trying to support him and like just watch him play with my money was like of course very hard for me but i still wanted to be supportive um and then after it didn't work out for him just realizing that like okay so that went the worst it possibly could have and now he doesn't have any more money to play with i don't have any more money to play with and then it was like a real decision to either go back to school then or go t tell my parents like hey i need help or to just like i actually ended up borrowing it was like a thousand or two thousand dollars from a friend of mine at the time who was in poker and i actually just ended up rebuilding from there so that's a long grind back it was what, did you go back scary. to four eight yeah, I can't remember what I was playing. I was playing like really low stakes limit, like no uh, limit and no limit holds them mm -hmm. at that time. So, uh, what is your favorite tournament destination? I mean, you've been, I think you've hit every continent by now, right? Pretty much, except I haven't made it made my way to South America, but I have to because poker's huge there. Um, I would say my two favorite places is Australia for mm -hmm. Aussie Millions and uh, South Africa for uh there's a wpt event there in october and johannesburg yes but i've been to cape town from there and been on safari and like that as a whole experience is yeah. amazing so yeah. what'd you get to do you do the whole like uh you didn't hunt no. <laughs> no 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 we just got to like sit in the jeep and like go on like you know game drives and stuff mm -hmm. like that and it was like it's and also like you don't get to spend a lot of time in nature in general as a poker player you're always indoors and you know it, where else would you rather be out in the wild, like yeah. literally in the cradle of the life, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, it was cool. Uh, who's the best poker player that we've never heard of? Oh, that's a good question. Best poker player. Or that just needs more love, doesn't get their due. Man. You can say yourself. No, I'm not going <laughs> to say me. You know, I I feel like. I can't say one specific person, but it literally is all of the like n nameless and faceless like cash game grinders that, that like play ridiculously long hours. They play, they put in so many sessions yeah. and they're not doing it for the glory. They're literally doing it to like, you know, make a living, feed their family. And all of those people, I have so much respect for them because it's so easy to get caught up in like tournament side of poker. Mm -hmm. But if at the end of the day, what you really are trying to do is make a living from playing poker, cash games is a way better avenue to do that in. But none of these people get any recognition. Yeah. And there's really amazing poker Just players. Just go to Bellagio on a Wednesday at 2 and you'll see like 30 people playing 40-80 who are like with five kids each. Exactly. Grinding so, out their hourly. Props to them. Uh, speaking of tournaments and how they get all the love, you have come very close to the World Series. You made a WPT final table. Uh, do you feel like that's still like the next thing, like the next uh, bucket list thing is to take down a big title? Yeah, I do want to win a big title. I mean, I think before I would have just said World Series of Poker Bracelet, but now any it's it's about any major title because um, in some events actually outside of the series, they're actually tougher field-wise than mm -hmm. some events in the series. So yeah. I think I'm trying to put less pressure and less emphasis on necessarily a bracelet and more 
of just a big field, a very elite field with a big buy in. If I can take down one of those, I'd be really happy. Uh, what's the worst job you had before poker? Uh, I sold women's shoes. Uh, like at a fancy shoes store? Or it wasn't fan- like Nine West. <laughs> it was like, you know, middle, okay. middle of the road. Well, I bet, did you have to like put them on people's yeah. feet, like yeah. Cinderella style? Like you, if you want to make the sale, that's what you have to do. And I did. And that. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Like that was probably the worst part of people it for sure. People don't bring their socks with them? Yeah. There were some tough moments there. <laughs> oh, how long did that last? Uh, like six months. Now this is a, the tough follow-up. What would you be doing if you weren't playing poker? Because you got options. You know, to be honest, at some point I would want to be a teacher like I've always I love kids I love teaching I always kind of when I was really young one of the things I did like with my imaginary friends obviously because we all had them <laughs> is like I pretended you had to more like, than one apparently <laughs> I did you were well, greedy I had a classroom <laughs> full because I would pretended like I was a teacher and I was teaching like a classroom oh. full of imaginary students and my pa- my parents actually have a teaching background like they were both my mom was a teacher my dad was a tutor um, and so I've kind of really I enjoyed that and so I think I could at some point like retire and just be like a substitute teacher and be like a super cool substitute teacher. That would be fun. Oh, we got Maria today. This is going to be <laughs> awesome. She's going to put on a video. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm going to like fall asleep. That was when my substitute. It was video day whenever they were in town. Yeah, I remember those. <laughs> um, was there a poker pro that you admired coming up? And did you ever get to play a pot with him or her? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is like super cliche, but Daniel was already really big when I was getting into poker. And I had to say it was Daniel just because not only because he has one of the biggest personalities in poker and he's the most well-known, but because I felt very um, drawn to how engaging he is with every person and how much fun he made poker look, you know, watching poker on ESPN, obviously. Um, There were a lot of people where it's like, I don't want to play poker with them. I don't want to talk to these people. But Daniel was one of those people that was like, I would love to play poker with him. I would Mm -hmm. love to sit down and talk to him. And um, then you discovered the true Daniel. Right. And then I discovered (laughs) the Daniel you'll see on TV is nothing like the real Daniel. Um, No, but it's funny because I did get to like play with Daniel fairly early on in my career. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people know that Daniel and I have become very good friends. But it's funny because he'll tell everybody this story where he said in the beginning he thought I didn't like him. Like he thought I hated him. And I think he probably just thought that because maybe I was like super nervous to like be in front of him. And like I just like had some resting bitch face apparently. But he like thought for the long time that I hated him <laughs> and he like didn't talk to me because I of don't that. think you could have resting bitch Aww. face I think your natu- natural face is a smile I, pretty much I know 24/7. I know maybe it was like a nervous face well, but that he misread but if you believe the internet then you and Daniel dated for like four years <laughs> I know it's so cute <laughs> nope Daniel and I have never dated we're just very good friends and I love Daniel all right so headphones do you wear them at the table Sometimes I feel like during the World Series of Poker, especially in some of the smaller buy-in events, I enjoy talking to people and I, and you know, I'm no Daniel Negreanu, but I like to do my part in terms of being an ambassador for poker. And I do feel like, especially, you know, since the inception of Colossus event, 
talking to like just finding out that like there's usually one person at every table <laughs> that hasn't played live poker before that makes me as a professional poker player want to be inviting and want to be talkative because i want them to feel comfortable in this environment i want them to feel like this is their like bar league game or their home game because this is a very i remember the first time i played in a live casino environment it was very intimidating for mm -hmm. me and i was a woman on top of it and so for for these people i'm sure they're nervous and they're intimidated and so I want to make them feel comfortable, but obviously in some of the higher buy-in events, like, you know, where it's, we all know each other, I'll put my headphones on because it's kind of easier to focus for me sometimes and to be able to just concentrate on my game. But I enjoy meeting a lot of different people. So I don't mind talking. When your headphones are on, let's say you got that annoying person next to you or just a table full of familiar, familiar faces. Yeah. What are you listening to? Is it all Maria Ho originals? <laughs> you know, I love hip hop a lot. Like I just Give growing up. Names. Uh, okay. I like old school hip hop. So, you know, I'm really into like Tupac because I guess I'm, you know, West Coast. Um, and oh, that like, new movie looks terrible though. Oh, I haven't like seen any trailers, but I know that the there is a movie coming exactly out. exactly like Tupac. Oh, really? He looks so much like Tupac. He's really? got the voice down, but the, the reviews are really bad so mm, far, like 20% or something. That makes me a little sad. Yeah. I can't believe they would mess up that story. Um, Especially when they did such a good job with the uh, the Dre and the Ice Cube story. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was Compton. an amazing, yeah. amazing movie. Uh, so I listened to that, but then I listened to a bit of, like, I really enjoy, like, acoustic-type music. Like, I love, like, okay, like, singer-songwriter stuff. Like, Ed Sheeran's one of my favorites. Um, and then sometimes... What's that one? The, the bot? What's... Uh... Put your body on my body. Yeah, yeah. Um, now I don't know what that like. Now I don't know what it's called. But yes, yeah, like Shape of You, like this yeah, new song. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I love Ed Sheeran, and I listen to musical like soundtracks. Oh yeah. As well. Yeah. Wicked and. Yep, Hamilton Wicked, and, and then yes, my most recent one is Dear Evan Hansen, which is like this amazing musical. I just saw it in New York, and it just won the Tony for uh, best musical, I believe. So it's a good one. Awesome. Um, we end the podcast the same way every time with a question from the random question generator. Okay. <laughs> Yours is, what's the most useful thing you own? Most They'll say phone. That's a copy. I know. And Phones I don't want to do say everything. phone because that makes me sad if that was my answer. Give me, the most give me like something that you own that's like this one thing really well. Oh, my gosh. And I could also change the question if you hate it. I don't hate the question. <laughs> I'm just sad that I don't have an answer, like a go-to, go like... Because after phone, really, what else is there? Um, I mean, if I asked Ryan D'Angelo, he'd say his juicer. You know what I mean? Oh, if yeah. If I asked Vanessa Self, she'd say her turntable. Oh, okay. Then my yoga mat, then. Your yoga mat? Yeah. You, you're a yogi? I am. I've been practicing yoga for the last two years, and I can honestly say that I feel so much better physically, obviously, but mentally. There's, like, very meditative qualities. Um, the If I even spend five minutes on my yoga mat a day, that is, like that is probably the best thing I can do for like myself. Hot yoga, cold yoga, <laughs> medium yoga. <laughs> I like, I like hot yoga. Um, and I do like, I'll switch between like really challenging, like hard and like very like hot temperature yoga and like the relaxing, like the more like the yin yoga, the stuff that's a little bit slower, the stuff that's just really you stretching, mm -hmm. like holding poses for long periods of time type stuff. And you're very good at it. You've done this entire interview on doing a handstand. <laughs> It's, I mean, listen, you don't practice yoga every day for two years without <laughs> doing a handstand for 40 minutes. So this yoga so. mat you have is like top of the line. Yeah. Set you back $500. 
it's it's top of the line it's like a manduka it's very very plush and uh but yeah i do think that is the most useful thing that i own it's it's my it's my uh, go-to i love it i love it maria thank you so much thank you for joining me uh and i hope the rest of the summer kicks ass thank you that's the show thanks again to maria be sure to follow her on twitter at maria ho or check out her website at mariaho.com Also, check her out at the Amazon Mobile Masters Invitational on CBS Sports later this summer. If you haven't already done so, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Attention American poker players. Do you want to legally cash out your poker winnings to PayPal? Then head to GlobalPoker.com and see why it's the fastest-growing site for U.S. players. That's GlobalPoker.com.